and we ran into it, the the current record holder on the on the Grand Teton, and my my friend Kim was just really supportive of me, and his name is Jock Lydon, and he said. He said, Jock, Bryce is going to go after your record on the, the Grand. And this guy's a climbing guy, you know, kind of this gnarly, you know, tan, you know, just professional guy that had been up the Grand a million times. And the guy just looked at me and he just said, good luck, kid. I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> game <laughs> so, on. <laughs> game on, yeah. And, I like it. You're listening to the Run the Riot podcast, where we talk about all things ultra running. I'm your host, David Terrio, and man, I'm pumped that you are here. Let's see what we can get into today. Hey there, my friends. Welcome to this week's episode of the Run the Riot podcast. This week, I was totally pumped. I got to visit with Mr. Bryce Thatcher, the founder of Ultraspire. Yes, Ultraspire that makes all the packs and the lights and everything that I use. Um, he was also previously the founder of Ultimate Direction until he moved on. He's done work for uh, Nathan, for Black Diamond, Sierra Designs. He's been designing packs and adventure gear for quite a while. I loved this conversation. We even talked about his FKT on the Grand Teton that stood for almost 29 years, and it took Killian Jornet to break his FKT. Pretty awesome. Pretty. I had a great conversation. I wish we had more time because I had so many questions, so many things I wanted to ask him, but our time was limited, and I had to go. But, uh, man, I hope you enjoy it, and I hope to get to visit with him again because I got more questions, and there's so much knowledge in his head. You can tell he loves what he does. He loves the sport, and uh, man, you'll just love this conversation. Before we get started, real quick, uh, we got to talk about you know sponsors, man. Uh, first, Puritiva. Uh, you need to check out Puritiva. It's the ultimate in sports recovery. It's CBD. It's made in the USA. Um, it's it's awesome. The Tiva tabs are man. I take Tiva tabs at night. I feel so much more rested in the morning, and then I use their roll on. It's a, a thousand milligrams of broad spectrum CBD. And it's got a magnesium infused on it. It's awesome. Their cream is awesome. And then now they're the new night chews. You probably heard me talk about these before. I got to test them beforehand. And they're live on the website. The chews, you take one at night. And, man, you sleep so well. Or I sleep so well. Anyway. But uh, to check it out, go to tiva.terio.run. That's T-I-V-A dot dot run and we're also brought to you by the full moon 50k but it's not only a 50k this year there's also a 50 miler and as always there's a 25k it is saturday july 16th and 17th in perryville arkansas why is it two days well because it starts at night yeah because it's hot in arkansas at that time of year and uh this is a great race it's a party out on the trail uh, with some good people. It's a good time. Go to fullmoon50k.com and use the code RTR2021 and you get 10% off. Yeah. So come check it out. I'll be there. We'll be having fun. It'll be hot. We'll be sweating, but we'll be running. All right. Proceeds from the race, as well as all donations, will go to the Arkansas Ultra Running Cross Country Fund. Uh, it helps high school cross country teams fund equipment purchases in areas with large concentration of low-income students and proceeds will also go to the Logan Wilcoxon Memorial Fund. It benefits the Arkansas chapter of the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention. Uh, and we're also brought to you, you know, you got to be signing up for races right now. We're also brought to you by the Outlaw Race Series. Man, a bunch of race series around Oklahoma and Southern Kansas. A bunch of races. You need to check them out. They're great. Uh, I'll be at a bunch of them. There's the Flat Rock in Independence, Kansas. That one's going to be on my birthday this year. I think I might have to do that. 
There's also Lake McMurtry in Stillwater, the Greater Roadrunner Trail Run in Roman, no- Roman Nose State Park. I always have trouble saying that. I don't know why. Flower Moon. I'll be doing the 50 miler there. That's in Paul Huska in May. The Dark and Dirty in Wilberton in July. The Thunderbird in Norman in November. And of course, the Outlaw 100 in February that has distances from 135 miles all the way down to the 5K. Uh, so check that out. Uh, I just got to make mention also the Flat Rock's going to have a 101 miler this year, not only the 101K. And so I might, I don't know, 101 miler on my birthday? Happy birthday to me? Yeah, we'll see. <laughs> it sounds like fun. Uh, and we are also brought to you by Runner's World Tulsa. Check out my friends at Runner's World Tulsa. Go to www.runnersworldtulsa.com or stop by when you're in town. They've got all the things, man, and they know all the things about running ultras because they run them, they crew people, they pace people, they're always out there, they put the races on. Um, man, you want some people who are experienced and can help you get what you need from shoes to packs uh, to, to just any gear or nutrition or electrolytes or that treadmill with the, <laughs> the tent over it, you know, for altitude training. You can check that out too. But check out Runner's World Tulsa. I think that's it. All right, let's get let's get to the show. Let's visit with Mr. Bryce Thatcher. So Bryce, how you doing today? I'm doing awesome. Thank you. Oh man, thanks so much for joining me on the podcast. Uh, as I said before we started recording, uh, I'm a big fan and I'm, I'm just uh, grateful for you to take time to, to talk about all the many things that you've done and that you've got going on. Thank you. This, uh, it's an honor to be on with you. Thank you. Appreciate it. So how's the weather out there in Utah, man? You know, it's, it's nice and warm. Um, it's, it's springtime in St. George, which is awesome because, you know, it's 70 degrees during the day and, you know, 40 at night. And so it's cool at night, but warm during the day. And so I kind of call it perfect weather. Nice. Nice. I've only been to Utah once, man. And it almost, uh, it was for the Moab 240 and it almost killed me. (laughs) Oh yeah. Was was it hot then? It was one of those record temperatures for the, for the race. And uh, I had, I had a rough time, man. It was, it was. Yeah. uh, That's tough. Sometimes it gets really hot and I've, I've done quite a bit of stuff in Moab and around here, long things too. And when it gets hot, wow, it's hard to keep get enough fluids in because it's so dry. So And I'm not used to that, man. I'm from South. I'm originally from South Louisiana, where you can pretty much awesome. drink, you can drink the air, you know, right. so, and, and right. uh, yeah, man, it's dry out there. So, uh, well, man, so let me, what are you do? What are you running right now? What are you, what are you doing on your weekends, man? What kind of adventuring are you doing? Um, man, I, you know, I'm, I'm still running a lot. Yeah. Um, most, mostly hills and trails, not a huge amount of mileage. Um, I'm averaging about 25 miles a week right now. Okay. Um, and it's purely just for fitness, but I'm doing a lot of core body and upper body strength. And I've been rock climbing a lot, which I've been having a blast with. It's something that I can do with my kids and my wife. And we just, we just have a blast doing that. And so I'm just looking anymore just for overall body shape and fitness. And I love hiking. Um, I bike once or twice a week and I climb two to three times a week. So running is, is a passion of mine and I love it, but climbing is also. And so I kind of like to bring them together. 
That's awesome. And I noticed that. And when we get to talking about the packs, I noticed some of the packs that you're designing and, and uh, have to deal you know, with some of that with climbing and, and adventuring and stuff. So, right. Um, yeah. So uh, tell me, I don't, I, I don't know. Um, how many kids do you have? You know, I, I between my wife and I, um, yeah. we have eight. I have five of my own and she has three. So hey, between, right. it, between, between the two of us, we have eight kids and they range from 32 years old um, down to 15. And so we have quite the gamut and we have one child at home right now. She's 15 and she's actually out today getting her driver's permit. And so I'm kind of a little scared. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Crossing my fingers that, should, should we that stop our car survive a 15 year old, you know, <laughs> another yeah. one, yeah. but it's the last one. So <laughs> yeah, you, you've been, you've been through it. So, you know, yeah, yeah we've been through it and it, it's all good. We love kids and and all of them are, you know, active outdoor people and mm. love being outside in, in any in any form or manner. And so it's 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 good life. We have a good life. I, I love that, man. I love it. So I, I kind of did like you, man. I've got I've got a 30 year old daughter and then I have a, another daughter and a son. And then and I've also got a nine year old daughter now. So it's like I've got a wow. A pretty, yeah. Pretty, yeah. Pretty big, pretty big gap there, man. Yeah. Uh, but yeah. it's fun. Keeps us young, man. <laughs> Yeah, it does. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. uh, well, so, so talking about you running, um, you've been, you've been doing, you've been out in the mountains doing some great things for, for quite a while. And, you know, and I was, I was, you know, when, when I became a fan of, uh, of Ultraspire, uh, before I even knew who you were or anything and started reading a little bit about the things that you've done. And, and, and I, to use the term, I saw, I saw somebody, I don't even know who said it, but like, they use the term for you almost like the, the father of the of FKTs. And I thought that was really cool that you were FKT and before FKTing was a thing. Yeah, before it was even a term. And it was actually a friend of mine. Uh, his name is Jim Knight. And we've done a lot of adventures over the years. And he was the one. It was many years ago. I don't even remember the date. I think I'm not great on dates, but I think it was 1987. Um, I'd already started my first company, which is Ultimate Direction, and um, he he wanted to do uh, basically a backpacking trip. He just says, "I want to do the Highline Trail in um, Wyoming through the Wind River Range, and I want to be able to do it fast. Most people take like a week to do it, yeah. and I want to be able to do it really quick. And I think we can pull it off in a day and a half or two days, something like that. And it's roughly around a hundred miles, and." And I says, that's great. And so I, I built a custom pack for us and we went out and, and we did that and we were able to do it. I think it was 38 hours, totally self-supported. Nice. Um, and we carried all of our own gear. We had a sleeping bag and a little tent and, and all of our food and everything. And we were pretty happy about it. And um, it was right after that, that Jim wrote an article and he for ultra running magazine okay and in the article he coined the term fast packing and okay. that's kind of officially where the term came from the fkt and fast packing came from that article i think um and so i'm definitely not the father of fkt uh, buzz burrell and um he he's the one that actually coined the term FKT, yeah. but I, as far as fast packing and going light and fast in the mountains, you know, we are one of the originals for sure. That, that's amazing. And, and as I was reading, uh, you're of course the, the, you had the FKT for the grand Teton. Yes. Uh, yeah. And, yeah, and, and 
Yeah, no, I, share, share, share about that. I, I love that story. <laughs> well, the reality is I, I grew up in, I grew up in Idaho and I was a boy scout and I loved hiking. And my dad was also a big hiker. And from the time I was little, like eight, nine, 10, um, he would take us out and we would go on these hikes. A lot of times they were uh, backpacking trips where we'd go two or three days and we would carry the normal frame pack, a big pack and stuff like that. But he would kind of come to me and he'd say, okay, we have four miles to go. If we run a little bit, let's just run 10 steps and walk 10 steps. If we run a little bit, we can do it in a lot faster time. And so my dad is kind of the one that gave me a love for the mountains. And I realized at that time that just the process of moving quick in the mountains. And then I realized that if I would lessen the weight of my pack and go lighter, then I could move faster and so forth. So that's kind of where it really, really started because I grew up in the Idaho side of the Tetons and, and with the, the Grand Teton um, sitting there, I, I always looked at it and says, I got to get to the top of that mountain one day. And my dad wasn't a climber, but he was a really great hiker. And so I, I, I just had a passion for mountains in general, did a mm -hmm. lot of running. And, and, and as I got a little older, meaning my early teens, you know, 14, 15, stuff like that, you know, I really started to like it more and more. And then uh, I started actually rock climbing a great friend of mine. And I still climb with him to this day. I started when I was 13 with him. His name is Kim Miller and just a wonderful friend and, and a mentor of mine. And, and he was always so supportive of me. He was older than I am. And he just, he taught me how to rock climb. And so then I, I took my climbing er, background in rock climbing when I was 13. And then my love for running and moving fast in the mountains. And at the time I, I did a lot of things with Kim. And so we would go and do really long climbs in the mountains and we would run into the base, climb the peak and then run out again. And, and it, mostly for us, it was like, he kind of had this feeling. I don't want to, I don't want to sleep outside. I want to, I want to sleep in a hotel. Let's, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> let's, let's do this 25 mile hike and climb a peak on top of it, but let's just do it really fast and do it in a day, you know? And so yeah. that's kind of what got me going with it. And then, uh, I was still young. Um, th this is moving up a little bit in my age and, um, I was about 18 and my friend Kim, I'd climbed the Grand a few times and he just said, you need to, you need to go for the record on the Grand. You're so fast and um, you really need to go for the record on the, on the Grand. And I says, really? And I started, it really intrigued me. And I started thinking about it and planning for it and training for it. And, and I just started spending a lot of time running in the Tetons. Mm. And initially it was doing things that were kind of technical trails, not necessarily the type of thing that you're climbing, yeah. technical climbing, where if you fall, you're dead. <laughs> um, and, and, and so I was doing a lot of that and got faster and faster in the hills. And then, and then it was one time we were climbing at the city of rocks and, and we ran into the, the current record holder on the, on the grand Teton. And my, my friend Kim was just really supportive of me and his name was Jock Lydon. Mm -hmm. And he said, 
he said, Doc, Bryce is going to go after your record on the, the grand. And this guy's a climbing guide, you know, kind of this gnarly, you know, tan, you know, just professional guide that had been up the grand a million times. And the guy just looked at me and he just said, good luck, kid. I'm like, oh, OK. <laughs> game <laughs> so, on. <laughs> game on. Yeah. And, I like and it. So I, I kind of I kind of joked about it and, and laughed about it. And Kim continued to encourage me. And and so it was the first time I would just barely turned 19 and I um, ran up the grand. And if, if you're not familiar with the grand, it, you start out at about 6,500 feet of elevation. Okay. And then the first seven miles approximately are um, trail, but there's some of it's technical trail, but you gain, you go from 6,500 up to about 11,500. Oh, wow. So you yeah. gain quite a bit of quite a bit of mileage. You're gaining almost a thousand feet a mile. And then, um, and so it's just a lot of uphill. And then once you get to that point, you actually get to a place called the saddle and then you start going up the ridge of the saddle. And, and technically you get up to about 13,000 feet where it's very technical trail. It's kind of non-runnable kind of scrambling scree slopes with snow and stuff like that. Yeah. And you get up to a place, um, it's about, it's called the upper saddle about 13,700 feet and the last 700 feet are, are technical climbing. Mm. It's not really difficult on the climbing scale. Um, they rated a five, four, um, but at the same time, there's so much exposure and it's so unpredictable with loose rocks and snow and ice and things like that, that literally if you fall, you're dead, you know, there's just no way around it. And, and so, you know, I was climbing well enough, um, that I felt comfortable on it. Yeah. And so, um, so I was able to move very quickly. So, and when I was 19, I ran up, um, to the to the top and cooling and scrambling up to the the very top and then back down again and, th and that first time it was three hours and 47 minutes round trip and the previous record was four hours and 11 minutes by jock glidden and so i smashed the record yeah and was was pretty happy about that i um then um ended up serving a two-year mission for my church and um and then while i was gone um, another guy went in and he broke my record and he was a big marathon runner and what, had won Pikes Peak a bunch of times and stuff like that. And so really a great guy, Crank King, and he had broken my record on the grand. And, and it was actually a guy from outside magazine that had called my friend Kim that said, Hey, do you realize your, your friend Bryce's record was just broken and um, we're going to write an article about it. And, and the guy and my friend Kim said, hold on a minute. Don't write the article yet. <laughs> <laughs> nice. I like it. That's a good yeah. friend, man. <laughs> and, and so my friend Kim called me up and he says, Hey, your record was just broken. You got to go back again. I'm like, seriously. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. And I, at the time I was training for Pikes peak and I, I'd been living in Colorado and I was doing three, 14,000 foot peaks a week and just mm -hmm. doing a lot of rock climbing. And it was just, I was really, really attuned to the altitude altitude and so it was 10 days after so creighton kings um, broke my original record on august 16th and it was 10 days after that i went back um august 26th and um I, I went out again i was very fit um climbing really well my goal was to break three hours honestly which is just you know just a, a young kid really <laughs> yeah, I was 21 yeah, at the yeah. time yeah um young and dumb still anyway i um so so i ran to the top um 
was an hour and 47 minutes. And so if you're going from 6,500 to 13,700, you know, you have almost, you have 7,000 feet of climbing plus the technical climbing involved in it. And I think where, where I really, really crushed um, Creighton King's time was because he hadn't, didn't have as much rock climbing experience as me. And so the last 700 feet took me like 11 minutes to do it. And so it was just, it was just like, I was just climbing so fast. It was just like, just climbing and then even down climbing, I was doing like a crab walk coming down. So I did an hour and 47 minutes to the summit and then an hour and 13 down. So it's eight miles with losing 7,000 feet of vertical, including down climbing. (laughs) There's no ropes or anything involved. So I made it back um, to the car three hours and six minutes and I was pretty happy. And that rabbit stood for almost 29 years i think yeah a lot of people tried uh, throughout the time you know and 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 i didn't talk to any of them but a good friend another good friend of mine luke nelson was going for it the deray brothers from salt lake were going for it um and some uh, anton kompichka was going for it you know oh, and just some pretty yeah pretty prominent people were going for the record and and it was finally killian journey that that got it and it was a little controversial i I've, I've met killian a couple of times and just a wonderful guy and yeah and i just congratulated him and it's just awesome and it was a little controversial and controversial which i i gave him full credit for he took it down to 254 i think but mm-hmm. i followed the trail the whole way and and in pure european style he cut all the switchbacks oh, and okay. and just kind of took the direct route and and so I still gave him credit for and, and figured it was a record. And a lot of people said, well, it's, it's not a record because you took two different routes. And I'm like, well, whatever, things have changed a lot. Like I go up there now and the trail is in a lot better shape than it was in 1983. Yeah, and yeah. so, you know, and so, yeah, I mean, you can argue that, but at the same time he did it he did a wonderful job. And then, um, it was shortly after that, that a climbing ranger, uh, um, from Rocky mountain national park went in and, and he, he put it down and he took like a minute or so off of Killian's time, but he did follow. And I think that's one thing about FKTs that I think is super, super important. And, and I really want to instill in people is the idea that you need to try as best as possible to do it in the same style that the first person who did it, did it with, You know, so you need to do your research and you need to say, okay, was it supported or unsupported? Yeah. You know, um, did you follow the trail or not follow the trail? What route did you take? And so mm. forth. Like, I, I know some females that have set um, supposed records on the Grand Teton for the fastest female time. And I look at it and I think, you know, man, that's really fast. But part of it is solo self-supported because some of the records, they, they, they went with a male Mm-hmm. And not that, and, and, and they actually followed them all the way up the route so that they didn't have to think on yeah. where to go. And, and there was no route finding involved. And I'm like, yeah, that's really fast, but you really need to do it solo self-supported to be true. Yeah. You know, you, you, there's so much, especially with a mountain climbing slash running um, FKT, if the records are all set solo self-supported, it needs to be set solo self-supported yeah. where you're yeah. on your own and, and you, you just kind of your route finding, especially technical, well, anything, any trail, mm. you know, just the anticipation of where do I go? Yeah. Um, and, 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 and so I think that's really important when it comes to FKT, 
FKTs anymore. I, I've kind of coined the term and it's kind of fun. I call it FK knees now. And so <laughs> yeah, I like it. <laughs> and, and, and the reality is the beauty of it. I call yeah. it pure mountain running too, but the beauty of it is um, that, you know, as, as you get older, like I turned 60 this year mm. and I'm still very fit. In fact, I think I'm more fit than I've been in 20 years just because of my diet and my overall lifestyle and, and, and things like that. But, um, anymore, I still love to go out and, and I'll look at the FKTs and I'll say, yeah, that's, that's really fast for a 60 year old. There's no way I'm going after that. And I'm, I'm realistic with that. Yeah, yeah. But, but at the same time, at the same time, for example, Wheeler Peak um, in Great Basin National Park. I, I've been setting FK Mies on it, and I have no <laughs> idea what the FKT is, but it's just—it's just a personal record. Yeah. It's just like this is my fastest time on this peak. Mm. What can I do to make it a little bit faster? And and it's 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 kind of a really a fun process to go through because it helps you focus on um, your goals, your eating, your diet, your, your training regimen, your, you know, all your, um, the things that you do to try to improve performance. And mm. Jeff Browning's a great friend of mine. And, and, uh, I've been working on some products with him and stuff, but he just told me, and he's, he's 50 now, but still winning races, which is amazing. Yeah. But he told me that he spends like half of his time doing, um, body work, you know, so yeah. body squats and pull-ups and push-ups and, you know, and planks and, and, you know, just all kinds of things like that to, to get stronger. And, and so the whole, the whole idea of the FKME is, you know, as you get older, you can still perform to the best of your ability, but within your own abilities. And that yeah. makes it really fun. And that's where I really think, you know, and that's, that was my original passion. Yeah. It wasn't, it wasn't, oh, I want to go set a record. My original passion was how can I get faster? How can I do better? How can mm. I improve myself? And it just, it was kind of an, a byproduct of it was, was setting an FKT. And so I think that, and that's one of the things that I, I, I look now at, at current trends and, and how commercialized everything becomes. And, and, and I think that sometimes people lose their pure, Mm. reasoning why they get into the sport in the first place you know yeah. and it's just it's just like it's not for a social media post it's not <laughs> for you know it's not for this it's not to get cool pictures and things like that which you can do all of that but the reality is what's it doing for you as a person you know how can you improve as a person and, and look more in inward and deeply into the process like you know the the races that people do you know you go through these stages in your mind where mm -hmm. you feel good you feel horrible you feel you know, and, and, and you go, I, I say that sometimes going from physical to spiritual to yeah. back to physical again, and then back spiritual again, and you go through all these things where you're developing your, your body and your mind, you know, all in the process of doing it. And, and I think sometimes people lose focus on mm -hmm. the, the, the joy part of it and, and why they actually do it in the first place. And that's where I'm at at this time in my life is, you know, I, I do races once in a while here and there, but really I just, I just want to be outside. And most of the things I do now are FKMEs, you know, just for <laughs> yeah, fun. Yeah. yeah. So. <laughs> well, I mean, I love, I love, I love that outlook because, you know, I mean, most of the people that, that, that are listening to the podcast, they aren't elite They you know, and, and, and I find myself, even as I'm getting older, I'm pushing, you know, I'll be pushing 50 in a couple of years and I'll slow uh -huh. down and I used to do pretty well and whatever, but now it's just, you know, I'm really focusing on, enjoying the journey and the process and being out, you know, being out moving across 
distance on my feet, you know, as fast as I and can. And that's what it's all about, I think. And I think that's it. And that's one of the beauties of, of the middle pa- of the pack and the back of the pack runners is I think in general, that's why they do it. Yeah. You know, yeah. it's for, it's for personal enjoyment and personal improvement. And it might be a weight loss. It might be a physical goal or whatever, but, but I think that the beauty is, is when you can bring the, the spiritual side and the mental side into it too, mm-hmm. and, and really become a better person through the process is, is where, and, and the other thing that I've really noticed too, is I have so many friends, I've been doing this for a long time now, since 1985, yeah. as far as building packs for endurance athletes. And, and I've built packs for some of the best runners in the world over the years from adventure racers to, you know, and the thing that I've noticed over the years, those people that can transition from the fame and the glory and the, you know, that comes with notoriety from winning a bunch of races and they can turn it into more of a spiritual journey and a personal mm-hmm. journey that they transition much better into retirement yeah. than those people who their whole world revolves around who they are as an elite runner, for example. Mm. And, 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 and because of that, they kind of lose their identity. And, and then as soon as they can't perform anymore, they get an injury that's, that's kind of forcing them to alter their training and they can't win races anymore. Mm. Then, then they really have a hard time with who am I, yeah. you know? And, and so a lot of them become coaches, a lot of them write books, you know, and I've seen it over and over and over again over the years, but those people that keep everything into perspective and um, really mentally and spiritually get involved with it and why they're doing it in the first place and don't get too wrapped up in, mm-hmm. in the, um, the fame side of it amongst the elite categories. Those are the people that do much better in retirement. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. We're with like me, it's just like, you know, my kids, like one of my sons, he's a great rock climber. And he says, dad, we got to train this year. So I want to climb a five twelve. And I'm like, you know, in my day I could climb five twelve, but that was a long, long, long time ago. <laughs> and I'm like, why? I, I really don't want to. I, I'm perfectly <laughs> yeah. timed. I'm perfectly fine. You know, just enjoying uh, you know, the, you know, the mid grades and, and I'm just perfectly yeah. fine with that. Cause I just have fun outside. I love being with family. I love being with grandkids. I love being with my kids yeah. and, 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 and I, and I don't have, I don't have to prove anything to anybody anymore, yeah. you know? Yeah. And so that's, it, it's kind of a nice place to be in, but a lot of my friends, you know, over the years, you know, I love and support them all, but they, they've really struggled with that transition. Yeah. Yeah. Well, with you being, you know, kind of in this, this world for such, such a long time and the things that you've seen, how did, how, how, what's your, what is your perspective? Because ultra running has really started to blow up. And I mean, that's, that's good for business. Um, but you know, yes. you know, and, and I love seeing more people realize that, Hey, I can, I can do hard things that I didn't realize I can do because of what you said, that the mindset that, that people gain with it when they can achieve a hundred miles for the first time. And they realize, man, I can, if I can do that, what else can I do in life? And so there's, there's a lot of positives, but are are there, I don't know, not to, I don't want to be negative, but like, I don't know. There's some things that are concerning, like maybe too much commercialism or, you know, 
Well, I, I think that, that that's, that's the biggest change I've seen. And you're right, it's absolutely good for business. And a lot of people are coming into the sport of, of, of all sizes, walks yeah. of life, everything. And that is it's just awesome. absolutely wonderful. I yeah. love it. I, I love it. And, um, and, and so from a business standpoint, it, it, it has been really good. The, I think the thing where I've seen, I've struggled with the most is um, the, the younger people that are coming from other arenas, particularly triathletes, for example, and, and road runners, for example, when they make a transition, sometimes they come into the, the trail and ultra running crowd expecting things to be the way they are in their yeah. arena. Yeah. For example, in the early days, it was really common for us to you know, do stuff self-supported. You know, yeah. and it'd be a group of 10 people out there. Hey, we're going to run across this. Let's all, you know, we've got to carry everything. We're going to get water at this stream and we're going to do this. And we've got to carry a lot of stuff because we got to go 20 miles before we get water again. Yeah. And so, you know, it was really kind of informal. And anymore, the thing that bothers me is people going to a race ill-prepared. Yeah. They, they don't do their homework and they expect aid stations every two or three miles. Yeah. And it's yeah. just like, you know, how, how are we going to get an aid station to the back of Pacific mine where to be on, on speed goat 50 K, you know, and, and people are complaining because they run out of water. Well, no, you have to plan and you have to prepare. Yeah. And that's part of the beauty of it, you know, and, and honestly, races are much different in the U S than what I'm seeing in Europe. You know, they have mandatory gear lists and stuff like that. And, yeah. and the aid stations are really wonderful over there, but in general, they're farther apart. Yeah. And so the commercialization um, has really, you know, kind of brought a new crowd into it, which they're kind of expecting a lot and yeah. they don't want to suffer as much. <laughs> and they kind of expect certain things at the age station at a certain time. Yeah. And they haven't, they haven't adapted to, all right, I have no water here. I'm going to drink out <laughs> again. My friend, <laughs> Luke Nelson, he, he ran out of water once in, in, he was doing an FKT on the Zion Traverse. And I was, I was out there just kind of taking pictures of him and stuff. And, and he ran out of water along the way. And he was a miscalculation on his part, but he, he literally squatted down and was drinking out of a mud puddle, you know, and, <laughs> and, and, and most people would literally freak out doing something like that. He says, well, if I get sick, I'll get sick later and at least I'll get through it. Okay. You know, <laughs> yeah, and, and yeah. so, you know, and, and so a lot of people have lost that mm. um, kind of that sense of you do what you got to do to finish. And, and then they start blaming their yeah. failures on the race. They mm. blame their failures on, you know, their gear. They blame their failures. And, and the reality is stuff happens. Yeah. My friend, Dana Miller, another great friend of mine that won Wasatch five times. And I mean, I've seen that guy, he's, his name's mud and guts for a reason. And, <laughs> and holy cow, I've seen him limp into a, an aid station with a stick because he had something go wrong, you know, and, and he still, he, he figures it out, you know, and it's just, they've kind of lost the, I, I don't know, this, the this grit. really, really strong dry grit. Yeah. They've lost this grit to where if things aren't just print form, then they just drop out, you know, now I, I, there are times you have to drop out no matter what. And I yeah. admit that and I've done it and it, you know, it's just, there are times you, you do, you, you have to make that own decision yourself, but um, that's, that's the main things I've changed seen is the commercialization and with mm. the commercialization has brought a new crowd in with the new crowd that's coming into the sport. A lot of times they come from other arenas where they're a little more used to being primped. 
Yeah. And, um, and, and, and they're used to having things a little more cush and then they come in and then they start complaining. And that's the only thing that that's, I've bothered with, you know, it kind of loses its kind of its pure yeah. roots from, from the origins of, of, of when it started. Um, so, yeah, I think, and I think, I, I think a couple of things happened because like with COVID, uh, you know, the trail races started a lot quicker than, uh, than the other, uh, than the road races. And so right. we, we had some people come in and I was running a race one time and, you know, our miles are ish, you know, like it's 50 yeah, yeah. ish. And so, yeah, um, exactly. we were on a loop course <laughs> and the guy's like, I'm running with the guy and we're in the lead, you know? And he's like, man, this is, I don't know, dude, we're going over. And I'm just like, whatever, you know, it's, it's yeah, going to yeah. be what it is. And, and yeah, so it can't, can't go with the flow. <laughs> that's, that's it. Like, whatever. You know, yeah. it's going to be what it is. And, uh, you know, so I, I, I saw some of that and you see some that, like that after that, they, they start to get it, you know, and then, and then they embrace right. it. They embrace the suck. Right. They embrace the grit right. and start to enjoy it. And right. there are some right. that just go back to road running, you know? <laughs> right. Right. Well, and, and if you think about, you know, you talked earlier about the lessons learned from ultra running and stuff like that. And it, it just makes me really reflect because I, I volunteer coached cross country for 10 years and, and it was just like, you know, you're kind of teaching people to adapt, mm -hmm. you know, and, yeah. and in, in trail and ultra run, you have to adapt to, um, the, um, whatever is thrown at you, you know, weather, heat, yes. you know, not having your stuff at the aid stations, um, and, and, and being able to be adaptable to that, but that's really such a pure lesson for life. Cause one thing we know for sure about anybody's life is there's always challenge and it's always unpredictable and you try to make it as predictable as possible, but at the same time, there's always a curveball. Yeah. And so the lessons that you learn from running in general, back to my cross country, we always just taught kids that, you know, this, this teaches you all the skills and the disciplines necessary to be successful at life mm -hmm. and, and just realize that nothing's ever going to be the same and things change often. And, and, and the, the sooner people can learn that lesson, yeah. the happier they'll be, you know, yeah. and just, just realize that this is part of the process. Just like with you running those, that loop course, it's just like, Oh, whatever, you know, yeah. just because of that, your mental was so much stronger, um, than, than people that can't adapt to that. Yeah. And, and I, um, I don't know. I, I try to teach that. I, I spoke to some kids yesterday at one of the high schools and that's what I was trying to tell them because you know, as well as I do, I've, I've planned for races where I've had spreadsheets. I've gone through the logistics 50 times, done my homework, had my drop bag set, had my crew and things just go South, man. You know, things yeah, that you yeah, can't plan absolutely. for and you yeah. just, you just, you got to figure it out or, or yeah. not, you know, or just yeah, <laughs> or right. not finish. <laughs> right. Exactly. And then that's a decision you have to make and you have to live with. And then that's totally fine. And that's one of the other beauties. It truly is, you know, an individual sport. And, um, and so I, you know, I really, it's a great, we're in a great industry. Yes. We're in a great sport. I call it sport, but the reality is yes. the other thing that I've noticed a lot too is um, there, there are a lot of people that um, are kind of transitioning more into um F FKTs, you know, they really are going through mm -hmm. and saying, okay, I'm done with the organized stuff. Yeah. What is there out there that I can just do on my own? And, yeah. and that's, I've been there for years, you know, and I've done organized stuff, but I mean, back in the eighties, when I first started it, um, that's, I just, I like doing things on my own, you know, yeah. that's just how I was. And I just love the process of, of, you know, not having anybody 
to whine to, you know, when you're hurting. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you, know? you just want to whine to yourself. <laughs> yeah. And, and, that, and then I have a lot of friends too, and, and they're, they're all different. Yeah. And some of them want pacers and some of them want, don't want pacers because yeah. I'll offer to pace people. And, and they're like, well, yeah, thanks, but I don't want, I don't want a pacer. And I'm like, why? Because I don't want somebody to whine to, you know, I, I, I don't want somebody to just ask me every few minutes, how you doing, you know, how you doing and trying to, yeah. I just want to do it all on my own. And then yeah. there's other people that they fall apart unless they have a pacer, you know, because yeah, yeah, they yeah. feel like they need the encouragement and, and to each his own, really. I mean, they, and that's the beauty of it. You can really choose, you know, how you want to do it. But yeah. Um, well, and I, and I think one of the beautiful things with, with the organized races, especially, and even like now with the, with the two hundreds and stuff, and, um, you know, I've done the Tahoe and, and uh, I'm doing, I'll be doing it again. I think, I think those are safer venues for people to realize that, you know, yes. what? I just covered all this distance and I've had, you know, eight stations every 15, whatever miles. Like if I yeah. plan something out, like I could go do some yeah. pretty big stuff by myself, you Absolutely. know? Absolutely. And that's how hundred milers used to be. Yeah. you know, in the early days, but anymore, the hundred milers have really, you know, through uh, public demand have really altered their, their way of doing things to where, you know, people can go and they can, they can run a hundred miler with a couple of handhelds and, yeah. you know, five <laughs> miles between aid stations. And that's one of the beauties that really intrigues me. In fact, that new pack I'm working on the, the new Epic 3.0, oh, um, it's, it, I'm pretty excited about it because it's kind of going back to, you know, the original fast packing thing where, you know, you want everything at your fingertips and, and mm -hmm. it's, it's kind of going to be poised perfectly for 200 mile races because, and it's not the fast guys, it's going to be, it's not the guys that are winning it because yeah. the guys that are winning it can go on a 12 liter or 14 liter pack, but the guys that are just doing it for an adventure. And, and they, they want to do it and they want to do it fast. And they're going to do it a lot faster than backpacking it. Mm. Um, and, and this is a pack that's going to be able to carry everything that they need to get through it. And a lot of it, you know, it's probably a run walk routine, a lot of it. Yeah. So, well, okay. So I, I, I wasn't, I was going to get there, but since you brought it up, um, so I, you know, I'll be running When's the Epic, when's the Epic 3.0 going to be ready? Will it be, will it be, uh, <laughs> and a, a prototype in june man what do you think come on now <laughs> no you know um, you need somebody to test it during the tahoe 200 yeah you know I, uh, we actually we actually um may uh, and, and you'll have you'll have to check with us i i sent i made two samples yeah and and people don't realize what it takes to go from concept to reality and that's one thing that really yeah. changed with covid with me is i used to travel to the factory and one year I traveled nine times to Vietnam. We have two factories in Vietnam. Yeah. And, and I had my routine. I would send them drawings and then they would make samples for me. And then I would show up and then I would critique the samples. And then I, then they'd build another sample and I'd send, spend a week or two weeks at the factory. And then I'd come home with samples and I would send them out to some of our athletes and then they would test them. And, 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 and I, I've worked that way since 2002 when I shut down my last factory in Idaho. And, um, so I was really attuned to that, but with COVID all yeah. travel was shut down. Yeah. And so in order to keep the R and D cycle going, I just went back to my grassroots, which I did all the sewing, all the pattern making everything myself. And I, I had to learn some new skills. And so I went from concept to reality on the new Epic 3.0. And it, 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 I, I say that it took me, well, I actually did three products during this time, 
but I did, it took me six weeks to do it. And that's drawing the patterns, making the patterns, um, and then cutting off the fabric. And I use junk fabric to start out with, and then making sure that it fits, testing the concepts, um, building a sample, taking the sample out for testing, bringing it back, making all alterations. So over a six week period of time, um, I built a fully functional photo ready sample, nice. including all the patterns. And it's, it's off at the factory now to oh, be duplicated. Wow. Yeah. But I actually emailed them the photos and then I sent them a sample. And so what, what, what COVID has done is it, it has sped up our process. And I really think that we're probably one of the only companies in the country, in our industry, in, in any sewn goods industry that can actually do all their prototyping in the United States mm. and all their modifications. I've been working on a pack for Jeff Browning, which will be coming out shortly. It's going to be called the Bronco race vest. And I think he's, <laughs> he's, he, he won. So from, from concept to reality, he and I met from concept to reality, I actually turned the first sample crude sample in about three days. And, wow. and he, and he, he took that sample. He got on, got on a phone call with me and he um, critiqued it. And then I made the changes to it. Three days later, I made another sample, sent it out to him and he won the Zion 100 in it. That's and awesome. Then, That's amazing. Yeah. And, and so, and then we've gone through five iterations of this. He's won 200 mile races in it. And, and so it's, it's debuting soon. Um, I don't remember exactly when it's coming out, but a couple of months it'll be out. Oh man. And it's, it's pretty cool. It's called the Bronco race Fest, but people can't turn things that quick. So COVID has actually been really good yeah. for me professionally. My health has been much better because I'm not jet lagged all the time. <laughs> yeah. I'm staying at home. And then I also promoted, um, he was our sales director, Kevin Robison, um, mm -hmm. to be president of the company too. And so he runs the company with some other great people that I've had around for a lot of years and he's doing a phenomenal job. And that's just allowed me to just focus, focus, focus on R and D and sampling and prototyping and testing. And, and so I love, that's my biggest passion is I love working with the athletes mm. and I just love meeting with them and saying, what do we need to do and how do we modify this? But at the same time, because it is such a big process, I've had people say, why don't you just make custom packs? And I'm like, Okay, how much would I have to charge <laughs> yeah, somebody yeah, yeah. for six weeks of my time? Yeah. You know, they're not going to pay for it. <laughs> yeah, exactly, <laughs> so, exactly, exactly. Yeah, ultra. How much so, money do ultra runners have? You know, it's like <laughs> yeah, exactly. And so, so the reality is, I, I listen to every single athlete, every comment that goes through customer yeah. service. Um, I, I, I listen to them all. I gather data. And then, you know, our, our awesome immortal team, which you're part of, you Love know, we, we try to do podcasts. We listen to everything there and we build as many samples as we can. So back to your question and back to the Tahoe, too, <laughs> which I've been rambling a long time. No, that's um, all good. Is, you're, you're answering a, a lot part. of questions that I've had. So that's good. <laughs> there, there, is, there is a possibility that we would have some samples. I've asked the factory to make one as quickly as possible. Yeah. Um, for, now that I've done all the patterns to put it into perspective a little bit, me, myself, um, which I wish I had a wonderful sewing machine operator to work side by side with me, but I've, I've been doing this since 1985 and that skill set is hard to find. Yeah, um, yeah. but, um, so now that all the patterns are done, the fabrics are done, the fabrics are selected and all the raw materials are in stock here in St. George. 
for me to build an epic 3.0 sample start to finish, it's about five days. Oh, wow. Um, okay. It, yeah. And so, um, so that's still too much time. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and so, you know, if I, now the factory, you know, they'll obviously, because it's a factory full of people and they'll, they automate, we have laser cutters in our factories and they'll cut everything out really fast and so forth. You know, that's how we, we have to, yeah. In order to sell it, we have to figure out how to mass produce it. And that's what's what we're doing. But as far as working with the athletes, I do love working with the athletes and I would love to be able to get you a sample, but I really don't know how, yeah, yeah. how fast the samples will come <laughs> from the factory. Well, so ultimately well, our, our process that we go through is all, I'll, I'll build a sample. And if somebody come to, and, and it doesn't have to be the elites that come to me, you know, cause we meet every few months as a team, mm-hmm. our sales team and our marketing team and our operations team, we all meet and we just say, okay, what's coming out on the horizon? What do we need to work on? And we'll gather all the comments from all the athletes. We'll look at the market. We'll see what holes there are in the market. And, and then we'll, we'll pick items for me to work on because my time is so. Yeah limited that I, that I have to select like for spring 2023, which I just finished the development for that. That means a year and a half, about a year from now, it'll be coming out. We selected two products that, that will have major introductions. And so then we do the whole marketing thing behind that and stuff like that. (laughs) But it it takes me quite a bit of time. We have two seasons a year, two launches a year, And, and, and between two and four products are usually what we work on. So what we do is we listen to all the athletes. We listen to all the customers. We listen to complaints. Sometimes it's just modifications of existing products. Mm-hmm. Like right now, we just introduced the Zygos 5.0. Mm-hmm. That pack has been one of our best sellers for years. And it's yeah. a wonderful pack. And all the feedback from the athletes, the customers over the years, from our distributors, um, we make minor modifications. Mm-hmm. And then we do iterations of it. Um, similar with several of our products, but to do a brand new product, those take a lot longer. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and that's what, um, like, you know, I've, I've, I have slated to have the Zygos 4.0 right now, but then I, I got the Bryce XT because, because of, you know, with, with the pack and the required gear, it's hard to get the, um, the bladder in and out of it. So I was like, so I have the Bryce XT to, to, I'm going to work with it and try it. And so, but when, uh, I saw the modifications you're making for the 3.0. I was like, oh, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's yeah, good. It's, yeah, I like yeah. it. I love, and I'll just, I'll tell you, I can tell you love um, that part of it. And I love watching you, um, you know, when you get on with the Immortal team and you're, you're, I don't know. It's really cool that we get to be a part of, and, and I can tell you genuinely want to know, like, what do we, what do you think about this? What, what's working with this and how, how do you like it? And, you know, you're getting us to vote on things and, um, I, I think that's valuable because, you know, we're the Absolutely. ones out there racing in them. And, yeah. and I love that you, and I want people to hear that, that you listen, you listen to that. You don't just, you're not just saying that, like you mean that, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I absolutely do. I listen to everybody. And sometimes people will think, I mean, they'll, they'll make a comment at a trade show or I'll listen to an athlete at, and they'll come up to me and say, yeah, I really like this pack, but you know, and I, I'm like, okay, tell me, you know, yeah. what, what is it? And, and then they'll think nothing, they'll think that I didn't even listen to him. But the reality is sometimes, um, 
it takes a long time to incubate on the ideas. Yeah. And I have to think about it for a long period of time in order to come up with a solution that's marketable, that's viable, that's kind of universal. Mm-hmm. Um, I wish we could make custom packs for everybody because, yeah. you know, they, it'd be awesome, but it's just not viable. You know, it just, yeah. you just can't do it. Um, but I, I do, I listen to absolutely everybody. I listen to all the comments. I look at all the comments and we try to group them together into are there a few people saying this? And, and, and then also the thing that's really important to me, like I'm working on another new pack for spring and I won't tell anybody, I'm, I'm not going to leak this one out. Oh, come on now. Come but on. <laughs> this is for spring 23. Okay. Um, but I, I literally um, built the sample and then it took me, uh, it probably took me, including think time. It took me a couple weeks to build a sample. It's a little more simple than the, the Epic 3.0. Mm-hmm. And the, the, the second I finished the sample, I went outside, went on a nice two-hour trail run in the sample, and then I purposely run without a shirt sometimes just because I want to see every, every – I want to feel every seam. I want to feel the mm. fit. I want to be aware of what it's doing on my body. And then I came back, and I instantly made two or three changes to it. Yeah. And I, then I made another version. And, and so I, I'm, I'm really happy that – so sometimes um, I've been doing this for so long that that I rely a lot on myself as well too because the, and then I sent this same pack out to another athlete a pro level athlete and I'm getting rave reviews from the same pack that annoyed me huh. and so <laughs> so I'm I, I do a lot of testing myself too and I'm probably my strongest critic on things yeah um, and so I think that's part of the refining process too and then people don't realize and th- this is where we're working with the immortal team which which I absolutely love it it's my my favorite thing to do is and I actually really love it when they stop by St. George and look at what we have going on here and that happens quite often actually um, but I, um, I love working with the athletes, you know, just so much. And we truly are just inspired, inspired by athletes. Mm-hmm. And the thing that I tell people is you don't necessarily have to come up with a solution to the problem. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're, if you're having a problem with something, just let me know what the problem is. If you can come up with a solution, that's great. Yeah. But I just want to know what's annoying you, what's bugging you, <laughs> yeah. you know, and, and, and then, and then you know, I put that in, in my brain. And then that's why my wife says I don't sleep at night because I'll wake (laughs) up at three o'clock in the morning and boom, you know, a light bulb goes on and I figured something out. And, and it's usually trying to solve a problem. In fact, a lot of times when people, athletes, pro level athletes come to me and say, I'm usually what they're doing is they're doing some race or some adventure or some FKT where the current products in the marketplace are not fitting their needs. Mm-hmm. And they'll come to me and they'll just say, I need, I need to carry X, Y, and Z. Mm-hmm. And my, my, and my distance between the aid stations is this, and this is what I want to carry. And this is how I want to carry it. And this is the type of hydration I want. And then we start from scratch. Yeah. And a lot of times we, you know, our, our line is broad enough that we feel most niches but that's usually how development is done. You know, they just come with a problem or a, an event that, you know, that they're trying to do. I've done a ton of packs over the years for the Marathon de Saab mm-hmm. um, and different athletes that are doing, you know, crazy races like that. Um, but it's usually based around an event or a problem that they're, yeah. that, that we're trying to solve. Well, I, I love, I love the, um, 
I don't know, the humility in it that you realize that, hey, there's always room for improvement, for tweaks and everything where you're not, you know, somebody's like, hey, I don't care about, you know, you don't get offended, you know? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you just, like, it, it is I, what it I, is. I listen you know? to everybody. Yeah. yeah. I listen to everybody. Yeah. And, and then the reality is, and, and my marketing and sales team will tell you that here, you know, I built some stuff for myself that are not marketable. You know, yeah, it's just yeah. like I've used the most expensive materials and I use, the, <laughs> yes. I use aluminum buckles and I use, you know, all kinds of things. It's like, okay, we can't sell a $400 backpack this size, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, and so sometimes they have to bring me down to earth. Yeah. But, but, but usually what I'll do is I'll, I try to build with marketability in mind, you know, and, and, and over the years, my design style has really changed a lot too. I have no idea where we are in time. I told you I could ramble forever, but my design (laughs) style has changed a lot um, where anymore, I just try to make things absolutely as simple as possible, Mm. but still function. And, and I think over the years, this is part of my evolution as a designer. I think some of my early designs back in the eighties and stuff were just too complicated. You know, Mm. you, you would have to have an owner's manual to figure out (laughs) how everything functioned fully, you know, and, and, and so, and the people that were really gear geeks, you know, the, the tip of the iceberg that that wants to know every little tiny little detail. I still try to appease those people because I'm one of them, but, um, but, but I also realize that most people are, I want to put it on and want to hook it up or buckle it up. And I want it to be really easy and I won't have to think about it. I just want to go, yeah. you know, and I just want it to function. And that's how, you know, I think that current design trends are, is they just want it to be kind of a seamless, you know, no owner's manuals, no instructions, just kind of put it on and go <laughs> and, and, and very intuitive. And that's kind of a challenge is, you know, I'll come out with a design and then I'll say, okay, what can we live without? Hmm. Oh, and I, I listened to a great, I can't even remember the name of the book. Um, uh, it slipped my mind, but one of the things that it was talking about is doing these focus groups and, and, and you'll say, okay, here's our feature set that we're coming out with in this product. And if, if we've got these eight features, I'm going to give you a hundred dollar bill. I want you to identify how much value you would place on each of those eight features. Mm. And what, what it really comes down to a lot of times is there's three or four features that are must-haves. And they'll say, I, this one's a $50 feature. This one's a $20 feature. Yeah. This one's a you know $8 feature. Well, that one's about 50 cents. It's yeah. a nicety. But, that, but then when you look at, that, at it, adding that feature adds cost and adds mm. complication to it. And so as a designer... And, and my sales and marketing team are great at this. We just say, we don't need it. Just yeah. cut it out. You know, we don't need it because the features that people are asking for are X, Y, and Z. Let's just make sure we do those and do those really well mm. and, and not focus about, you know, all the other features that we're trying to add in that complicate it, increase cost. And then most people aren't even concerned about that anyway. Yeah. Well, I would imagine that lately as you're designing, I mean, you've been doing this and we didn't even get a chance to, and we won't, we won't have time to talk about your, you know, people, a lot of people know your story, how you started ultimate direction, went to, uh, to Nathan and, and now you're ultra spire and, and you seem like you're in such a happy place right now getting to design and stuff. But now with the technology, 
I, I hear you talking so much about uh, with the new packs coming out, the new fabrics and technology, yeah. that sort of technology that has to be kind of fun to like, Oh, what can I do with this? You know, this, this four-way stretch mesh or, you know, the, all these things that you have at your disposal now, it's gotta be fun. Yeah. It's so much fun. It's so much fun. I just, I, I love creating and I, my mind is always a few years ahead yeah. and, um, and that's why I have such a great team here at Ultraspire that, you know, we just kind of cherry pick and, and I'm always, you know, I have crunch time yeah, where I have to get a couple of things done. And then I have idle time. And during my idle time, I play more, but then I tinker. <laughs> and when I'm tinkering, I'm just working on concepts hmm. and then uh, concepts for the future, like on our, our momentum um, 2.0, they have really wonderful holsters on them um, called the fluidic holsters and they're magnetic holsters that kind of keep the bottles out of the way, but they allow you to get them in and out really easily. I was going to bring that up. That's my favorite pack right now. <laughs> it, it is. It's just a phenomenal pack. It's just a wonderful, it does really well for us and the fluidic holsters. But so that's kind of a concept. So I start tinkering on concepts like that. How can I improve? And, and my whole theory on that one was I had people coming to me with Momentum 1.0 and they says, I love this pack. I love the idea of carrying bottles in the back or in the front, but I love this pack. But the problem is I'm not very flexible. I can't get the bottles yeah. out. And so it was just a challenge. Again, a problem comes to me. They didn't come up with a solution. And then we created fluidic holsters and now it's just, it's our bestseller and yeah. it's, it's just a great pack. And so and that's kind of a prime example of how things work. So I do a lot of design just on concepts. And then once I've proven a concept, a lot of things will apply for patents on trying to protect ourselves because mm -hmm. I've been copied thousands of times over the years and it drives me crazy. And, <laughs> and, um, and so, um, so when in my tinkering stage, I work on concepts, it might be fabrics, it might be construction techniques. Like I was just talking to my marketing director this morning and I just says, man, this pack I just finished off. I engineered the heck out of it. And I made it so much easier for the factory to sew because I did the X, Y, and Z on this pack. And, and, and what that does is it makes it lowers cost overall yeah. and it makes the quality much more consistent. Mm. And, and, I did that because I built it myself and I realized, okay, how can I make this easier? Man, if I had to build a thousand of these, I asked myself that question over and over and over again. Yeah. You know, if it takes me three days to build this pack, let's pretend I had to build a thousand of these at a factory level. What would I think of it? How difficult is this step to put together? And so that's where the engineering of the product comes in, where my years of experience has really helped me mm -hmm. because, and then the factories love it because it's a proven point that, that they know is producible. Yeah. Well, and when you come up with, with, um, with, I, I like the fluidic holsters, you know, so that's a, yeah. that's something you came up with and, and now that's, that's something you kind of put in your tool belt for other packs or, exactly. this, you know, like, exactly. Oh, this would work really well here, you know? And so Which we have it on the new Epic 3.0. It's going to have fluidic holsters. So, Oh, okay. <laughs> I, I didn't know that. That's okay. Oh that's yeah. Great. That's great. <laughs> oh yeah. man. Yeah. Oh, okay. You gotta, you gotta get them to work faster at the factory, right? <laughs> I, know, I, know, <laughs> I know. I know. I know. That's great, man. So, um, no, but I, and I want to tell everyone like that, um, uh, if they, if they haven't dealt with ultra spire and, and, um, just, I can tell the people that work with you, they love being there. They love being a part of it. Everyone that I've come into contact with either at races or, uh, online or have just been, you can tell they love what they do. They love the atmosphere and they're, they're a part of a, 
I want to say it's, it's got a family feel like I feel like, you know, I've talked with Jody so many times and I feel like like I want to make it well, next time I'm in Utah. I, I, I couldn't do it last time, but I want to make a trip. I just want to visit. Yeah, I, want absolutely. To, I want to meet everybody. I want to see yeah, awesome. what's going on, it. man. You know, <laughs> And uh, maybe maybe go for a run with some guys or something. But but, I, yeah. you know, that's the feel that you guys have. And I love being a part of it. And I, I absolutely, I'm not just saying that I love the products and I wouldn't oh, be on the immortal you. team if I didn't believe in the products and I, um, and I like getting to be a part of it. And so, uh, man, just, um, you just keep being a kid in a candy store, man. And, oh, that's and, and, exactly and make what it, it is. Yeah. <laughs> I tell my wife all the time, I'm almost 60. I turned 60 on August 24th. I'm almost 60. And, but I still feel like I'm in my twenties. So I'm totally happy it. and content doing what I do. So, yeah. Well, and it would, I got the list here. We didn't even get to talk about the waste lights, which was, I, I tell everybody is a game changer. Like yeah, if you haven't checked changer. out the lumens, you've got to, I've run so many races with it and it's, it's, it's awesome. <laughs> it's, it's yeah. So, it, it's total game changer. Yeah. The, the depth perception you get. And so the, and all this just comes out of, you know, yeah. Just, yeah you doing your thing. <laughs> yeah. Prop, seeing a problem and creating a solution. <laughs> oh man. I love it. Well, well Bryce, man, I, I appreciate, I know you're a busy, busy guy and man, I just thank you so much for taking time. Uh, we may have to do it again when, when the, 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 the epic 3.0 comes out. <laughs> okay. That'd be awesome. Oh. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Appreciate it. Have a great day. You too.